Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. All right. With that said, we're going to jump into today's topic. Uh, We have been in this series, Lies We Love and How They Are Killing Us. Uh, We've been examining relationships and making the case, sort of uh, putting side by side different, uh, what we're saying are lies, different advice that we get from our society about how relationships work, putting that next to the advice that we get uh, from God and from Scripture and from Jesus about, hey, maybe let's, let's, let's nuance that or maybe let's just discredit that entirely and say what would actually lead to the maximum amount of flourishing and wholeness in our relationships and in our lives. A little disclaimer about today's message to, um, to the parents in the room, or for anyone in the room. Um, we are going to be talking about sex, just so you know. Um, so if, if your kids or your youth did not go out, uh, I'm, this is your, your public service announcement, that uh, um, there might be some anatomical terms thrown around today, um, there might be some choice situations that we discuss and so if you're, if you're not ready for that conversation, maybe you can walk them out now um, to, uh, to the kids upstairs, to the youth upstairs. And if you are, awesome, because we're going to jump in. The lie we're talking about uh, today is whether sexual gratification, sexual fulfillment, uh, just sex in general, is the highest indicator or the most important indicator of relational success or relational happiness. And obviously, when talking about sex, uh, usually, though maybe not in the modern world, but usually it takes two to tango. And so I'm not going to be tackling this topic by myself, but instead uh, I'm going to be joined by a very special person to me, um, my, my, my bedmate, in fact, um, my wife, Anna. So can you all give it up for Anna as she comes out? <laughs> Just call me your bedmate. <laughs> bedmate, bedfellow, that came up as well. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so, I kind of actually want to add on to your disclaimer. Please, just please for do. my own comfort, I want to get this out of the way at the beginning. Hopefully, like Russ mentioned, I was behind, so I didn't see. If there are people that aren't ready for this, you've already made your way out. But I'm just gonna say, sex. Yep. Penis. Yep. Vagina. Uh huh. Making love. Yep. Intercourse. Clitoris. All the words. Wonderful. All the words. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah, you can say that. We can say that. And you know what? Here's the thing. I know there are already people cringing and writing emails in your mind to me. (laughs) Don't send them to me. You can send them at bryant at (laughs) hopechurch.com. He is our executive pastor and handles all the issues. Um, He's wonderful. (laughs) No, but here's here's the reason why. We are going to talk about... And some of you are sitting there and you're like, yes, finally, you're going to feel liberated. You're going to be like, man, the church is finally talking about this stuff. Russ and I have both grown up in the church our entire lives. And this is something that's always been like taboo. Like, you can't say that in church. And my thought was always like, if we can't talk about this in church, where are we getting our information on this? Right? Who's going to tell me about my body? It's either going to be God or it's going to be the world. So let's have this conversation. Let's do it. Let's jump in. Y'all ready to jump in? Yes. All right. Um, so yeah, the lie we're looking at is, is that sexual gratification, that sex in general, 
Is a relationship's highest indicator or a really, really significant indicator of, of relationship success? And I guess we want to start by framing it in its context, in its modern context. Uh, where have you seen this um, in society or even in the church? Oh, gosh, where have we not seen this, right? So it's in movies, it's in television shows, it's in social media. We have entire apps around just hooking up, right? Like sexual gratification at its finest. Um, you see it in uh, co-working situations, conversations that you hear on the subway or with friends or wherever it is. I mean, I, I remember um, years ago, I worked at a coffee shop for a really long time and I was really good friends with a lot of my coworkers and I was dating this guy at the time that I was very serious about and we had started talking about marriage. Sorry, Russ. That's okay. I'm glad it didn't work I out. I won in the end, yeah. so it's all nice. <laughs> um, But we were very serious and my coworker kind of offhandedly was like, man, you're ready to have one penis for life? And I was like, mm. I've never had any penis before, so I'm sure like this one will do just fine. And they were like taken so far back. They're like, wait, you've never had sex at all? And I was like, nope. And they're like, what about the guy that you want to marry? And I was like, not even that one. Um, and they were like floored. And then this next thing was, how can you possibly marry somebody you've never had sex with? Like, what happens if you get married and the sex is terrible? And I was, I kind of, I don't know. I grew up in a Christian circle, so I wasn't used to getting that question. And I was like, um... Well, I mean, when I first got in a pool, I kind of sank, but then I learned how to swim, so I guess it's kind of the same, like, we'll just practice, and I'm sure we'll get better at it, you know? And it, I'm, man, I'm really glad that that logic didn't fall into our relationship of, like, if it's not good, just bounce out, because if that's the case, we wouldn't have gotten past our first kiss. We wouldn't have. Because yeah, I will tell, I think Russ has probably mentioned this before, yep. but it was the most hurtful. No, please, let's tell it again. <laughs> I mean, our first kiss was horrific, you guys. Like, there was, like, biting. Like, not the, like, ooh, sexy kind, but the, like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I can't like, feel my lower lip, guys. But, but our relationship meant so much more than that physical. I literally came home to my roommates, and they were like, how was it? And I was like, it was the worst first kiss I've ever had. But, like, I am so head over heels over this guy. Like, I don't even care. We'll practice. We'll get better. Like, it's going to be fine. And that was my same mentality with sex that I told this coworker. I was like, you know. I don't know. I, I, it's like anything in a relationship. Like, if it's not working, we'll communicate and we'll work on it and we'll get better at it. And um, they were like, Anna, I can't understand you. Like, that makes no sense to me. And I was like, well, you're married, so is that why you settle down with your partner? Because they were the best sex you had, so you like, got to lock that up. And their response was, no. No, I remember the best sex I ever had, and it wasn't my spouse. Um, and the conversation kind of ended there because I was like, oh, this feels weird now, but... Because um, it wasn't weird before, and it got weird. Yeah. <laughs> this was pre-Me Too. We probably shouldn't have had this conversation. But like I said, they're my friends. But um, that struck me as so sad in that I knew at that time that I didn't want to get into the bedroom with my spouse and be have this Rolodex of all these other experiences that were oh, so much better, other people that knew how to push the buttons, or they had all this extra practice. So they were really good at they were, what, what they were doing. And mm, my spouse was great, but just not quite living up to that you know, memory that I had. I really wanted whoever it was, and in this case it was Russ, to be the only thing that I had to, uh, you know, go off of. And so whether it was good or bad, it didn't matter. It was for us and us alone. And it was great. And we, you know, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not, and then we practice. So, you know, that was my experience in the real world. And then I think in the church, the ways that we've seen it, like, so glorified and, and huge is that it's like, all we hear about sex is no, no. No, 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 no. It's bad. It's dirty. It's sinful. It's lustful. Like, it's so negatively perceived in such this, like, high degree that 
so many people that grew up in the church like me, a lot of my girlfriends were so terrified of sex that when they actually got married, they're like, I don't even want to get naked. Like, or they were really honestly struggling with shame even after they got into marriage because they had heard such negative expressions about you know, sex before getting married um, that, that it was ev- elevated in this like kind of pendulum in the opposite direction where like society was like, just do it, loosey-goosey, like whatever, it's the highest, whereas the church was like, absolutely not, absolutely not, it's bad, it's shameful. So then you're kind of like, oh, where do I like fit like in? Like both, both sort of elevate it, but one elevates it by glorifying it right. and the other elevates it by shaming it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. And that sort of like sort of frames the context for us. And so what we want to ask then is, is that best? Is that leading to help evidently from, from friendships that Anna's had? And, and definitely, you know, um, through counseling that we've met with different couples, we would say perhaps there's a better way. Perhaps God has a better way. And perhaps we see that better way within scripture itself. And so one of the classic passages that deals with marriage and sex um, comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, It's chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, so we're going to go there and read this passage right now. So Paul is writing to the first century church in Corinth, and this is what he says. Now for the matters you wrote about. So he's quoting them, which is important. Now for the matters you wrote about. What did they say? They said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul takes that and he sort of adds on. He goes, okay, but since sexual immorality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. And what he means by that is celibate. Paul was not married. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, a couple things about this passage. The first thing I want to address is that, that, that first line where Paul says, now for the matters that you wrote about. So he's quoting um, what the Corinthians were asking. He's quoting something that the Corinthians were saying. What were they saying? Well, they were saying, well, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. A little historical context. In the first century, uh, the the reigning philosophy and worldview was Platonism or some version of Platonism. And in Platonism, the the chief idea as it relates to to sex is that the body and the passions of the body are bad. Uh, They should be avoided. They should not be given into so that the spirit can find fulfillment and, and and it would be really good. So they viewed the body and the passions as hindrances to true enlightenment, which was spiritual. Now, here's why that's fascinating. Because if we were doing this series, if I was doing this series in the first century, Corinth, lies we love and how they're killing us, the lie in first century Corinth is not that sexual gratification is the highest indicator of spiritual wholeness, relational success, all of that. The lie in first century Corinth is that sexual gratification is the greatest obstacle to spiritual success. The exact opposite. 
And the reason why I point that out at first is just to sort of set the, the, the tone that a lot of our values are culturally conditioned and could just as easily have been the opposite. I'll give you just one example. Y'all remember when we popped our collars? Yeah, <laughs> there was a time where we thought, hey, it's cool to pop the collar straight up. And there's some of them with pop collars out there and you're like, put it down, put it down. <laughs> and I, I say that in a joking way, but just sort of uh, uh, to set the tone that there are certain values that could have just as easily have been different. And when you look throughout history and you look throughout cultures, you have to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of historical spade work to find that the values that are actually cross-cultural and trans-historical. So for example, we've yet to find a culture that doesn't value loyalty. That seems to be always there. And, and so I, I start with that to say that um, social pressure is real, guys. Societal pressure of what, is, of what they say is good or what is uh, being celebrated or what is being glamorized, that's real and it impacts us. Um, I remember in high school, like in, in my high school world, it was cool to be a jock. That was the value. And then when I got to college, it was really cool to be studious. And that was our value. I'm really glad that Russell went to that college, not the like 99% of the other colleges. It's like, it's partying is cool. <laughs> but Russell's like, it's cool to be school guys. You know, I just heard myself right there. And uh, yeah, well, it was, it was no, my No, studying friends. is cool. It was it cool. It is really cool. I love studying. Maybe that's why the first kiss was terrible. I don't know. <laughs> um, but just to say that, you know, our values shift and change. But what's so fascinating about the Bible is that this, this word, this, this, this book, and what's within it is read by cultural groups all across the world and has been read for thousands of years. And the, the truth of God communicating to his people through it has stood the test of time. And I think that's really important as we go further into this, that the lie of first century Corinth was the exact opposite of what we're dealing with mm -hmm. today. Yeah, so we see in this text that Paul starts by saying, um, but since there is sexual morality, you know, since you guys are lacking control or since you're not choosing the way of me, celibacy, which takes a lot of self-control and discipline, um, there's a better way. Because what he was seeing was this very like wild, wild west of sexual immorality. It was very loose. It was very dangerous. It was very carefree. And so he's saying, hey, listen, since you do lack control to have a celibate life, the discipline of that, there actually is a better way. There's a better way to do marriage um, in, in our context and in our culture. And I, I also want to say right here, too, that for whoever out there needs to hear this, if you've maybe grown up in the church or maybe even around it or you've just heard the message from the church's perspective that, like, sex is bad, sex is yucky, um, sex is negative, or whatever it is, it's so far from the truth, you guys. God loves sex. He loves sex. He created sex. It was the first commandment that he ever gave to people was be fruitful, get it on, and multiply, okay? God created something so, so beautiful, okay? And you cannot tell me otherwise, and you cannot convince me otherwise, because why would a clitoris exist? Literally, and I have a lot of doctors in the room, okay? So don't get mad at me. It's it is an anatomical phrase, but its literal purpose is pleasure, you guys. And we believe that God created our bodies, right? So why would he create an organ whose sole purpose is for pleasure, okay? God created something so beautiful and so good. And a couple chapters later in Genesis and enters the world and we have distorted it. 
We have turned it, we have corrupted it, we have, we have weaponized it in different ways. But do not miss that sex in itself was created for beauty, intentionality, for pleasure, for enjoyment. It is good, okay? So, Paul addresses the people, okay? You guys lack control. He's seen all these things. These are the things that he's seen during this time in this um, social climate, right? He's seen that married women have no voice. I mean, women in general, but even married women have no voice. They are property of their husbands. Um, their one job is really procreation, which that's like their own voice. But like, that's not even a voice. It's like be quiet and pump them out. Like that's their job, right? Men, married or single, were allowed to sleep with anyone. They, well, not anyone, anybody below them, um, man or woman, below their status, they were able to sleep with at will. Women did not have that same liberty. Even if a woman was not married, she could not sleep with anybody lower than her um, class. Um, you also saw, and I can never, you say the, the Greek word. Pederastry. Thank you. Who can say that? Uh, the which, studious ones can. <laughs> party. <laughs> um, no, but th th this was the practice of, of men having sex with little boys. That was very wide, widely practiced. Um, something else that was practiced, there were always male and female prostitutes at the temple, at church, you guys. People would come from all over the land to worship and hook up with somebody at, at church. Like, yeah, to, to be clear, there were the pagan temples, not the Christian church. But there were <laughs> tons of pagan temples throughout First century Corinth. So just to be clear about that. Good point, good point. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this was so much ingrained in the culture, right, that this was that this was going on. So, like, you know, women and children are being completely uh, abused, and, and the church's sex ethic, marriage, was not reflected at this time. So this is why Paul is addressing them. And even in our own time, right, we still see so much damage happening. I mean, obviously, rape culture is still so prevalent. Um, you know, one-night stands or hookup things, things that really just, like, take our souls away. But we even see it in, like, in, in celibacy culture, too. We've seen so much damage when celibacy is forced upon people that perhaps should not have been celibate. You know, um, in, in uh, priests, you know, that we've seen so much destructive um, abuse that has happened, and perhaps people that should have never committed to celibacy. They loved, you know, the church and service, but celibacy needs to be a, a specific calling and a choice that, that is not forced upon anybody because you can see so much damage that happens when it is. Um, so he's seen all these different things happen in the time. So he says, hey, listen, instead of letting these six, uh, sexual impulses leak out everywhere, leak out sideways and these destructive patterns, we get married, you know, we get married to practice the fullness of a relationship because marriage is so much more than sex, but we need a context in which it is safe, in which it is practiced in ways that is honoring to somebody, not just sexually or physically through the body, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It is all about um, of wholeness, right? So he, he acknowledges, though, that not everybody is called that way. Relation, relational wholeness is the goal for all of our lives. Relational wholeness with God, relational wholeness with one another, whether that's your spouse or a friend, that is the goal. But God in his goodness, knowing that we're all created so differently, have different callings on our lives. So for Paul, he's acknowledging, hey, my gift is celibacy. And he calls it a gift, you guys. Like, I think most of us look at celibacy and we're like, yeah, right, what a curse. I would never want that. He sees it as a gift. And now being married, I can see why, and that sounded bad. No, it did, but I'm interested to hear what you're going to say. Go <laughs> it ahead. wasn't my line of thinking. <laughs> what I was thinking was it gives us, if, if 
ultimate wholeness and relationship with God is the ultimate goal. And everything around us is to create pathways to that full relationship with God. To have a celibate relationship where this isn't a distraction, because I'll be honest, you guys, this has become a distraction at times. Russ has become my God in little ways, or I have put him before my relationship with God. He has become a distraction in ways if I'm not careful. So a celibate life, you get to be in this like full communion and relationship and wholeness with God so much more easily than adding in a lot of external distractions. So he says, celibacy is my gift, but other people have other gifts, and he's referring to marriage. Marriage is also a gift, a gift that you get to practice, man, dying to yourself all the time, service, submission, which you can do when you're celibate as well in relationships, but is a different kind of gift in which you can practice um, seeing the face of Jesus and, and Russ and myself. We get to learn more about each other and, and ultimately more about God. Yeah, and I think an important distinction that you're making here is that in both, whether it's celibacy or marriage, it isn't a denial of sex or that we are sexual beings, but rather it's the proper channeling of sex toward the ultimate end for all of us, which is wholeness and intimacy with God. That is what he's after. So in celibacy, yeah, yeah, in celibacy, it's a withholding of sex to bring you closer to God. In marriage, it's the having of sex with one person and one person only that brings you closer to God. But in both, sex is still not, it's not denied, but it's channeled and it's proper. It's used as a tool. Used as a tool. In order to get closer to God in both contexts. It's not the reward. Sex isn't the reward. Marriage isn't the reward, guys. God is the reward, right? And celibacy, marriage, dating, these are pathways to the ultimate reward. Children, you could add that. Children Absolutely. aren't the reward. Children are pathways to the ultimate reward, which is to know God so intimately. And I think that's really important. And I know you already touched on this a bit, but um, I, I think it's, it's interesting that uh, Paul uses that word when we see sexual immorality in the passage. The word is porneia, porneia, uh, which is where we get pornography from, porn. Uh, porneia, it's, it's a broad term. There's a lot that's encapsulated in it. But in essence, it is sex outside the proper channeling, the proper form. It's forms of sex that destroy your soul, that do not lead you to discover more of who God is, that do not lead you to further wholeness with God, intimacy with God. So that can be one-night stands, right? We, we've addressed that. One-night stands where, um, where we sort of separate our bodies from the rest of us, as if our bodies are not part of our spirits, as if they're not part of our emotions, we separate them. We divide ourselves up in them. We chop ourselves up. It's, it's to elevate. If, if sex is a tool, right, toward a greater goal, which is knowing God, if sex is a means toward an end, the end is to know God, then porneia is when sex is no longer viewed as a means to, to the end of knowing God, but just toward some other end. Or maybe sex becomes the end in itself. So in a one-night stand, we're basically, we're not pursuing wholeness with God. We are just pursuing sexual gratification. That's it, just for this one night. It has become the end in itself. It is not the tool. Or you see, um, and, and, and I think what's so interesting about that is like, sex is one aspect of developing intimacy, but intimacy, relational wholeness, is so much deeper and so much stronger and more powerful than just sex. Like, just as an example, um, when Anna and I you know, started dating, uh, as she shared, she had never been sexual uh, with a guy I had. Um, but, uh, and I had never um, been in love with someone. 
I had never really pursued a full-bodied intimacy relationship with someone. So I still remember the first time Anna and I held hands. And I may have even shared this story before at some point in the past. Um, Sitting on her porch, uh, we held hands. And granted, I had done all the other stuff, right? When we held hands, I kid you not, I threw up in my mouth, got a mini erection, and basically, no, and, and I couldn't look her in the eyes. I was so, just sweating profusely. I was so nervous holding this woman's hand. I had never held hands before. I'd done other stuff, never held hands. It was far more vulnerable in that than anything else. And I think that's what we realized, because I had taken sex outside of the context of its proper channeling. I had not taken it as a means to a greater end of developing intimacy. I had taken it as an end in itself. You see this in in, um, forms of sex outside lifelong commitment, which we'd say sex outside marriage. And that, again, let's go back to there's no shame, none of that whatsoever. And yet what we'd say is that there is a degree of we're not experiencing sex as fullness because you're making it to a certain essence an end and not a means toward a greater end, which is for you and your partner to know that you're not going anywhere. Something shifts, I'm just telling you, something shifts in your spirit when you know this person who you're having sex with is not leaving. Because in our understanding, uh, marriage is an eternal covenant. They're not going anywhere. Something shifts. And something can be really, uh, it, it can, it can um, be harmful and scary if this person that you're, you're with, if it ends up breaking, breaking up. As John Mulaney, the comedian, puts in, in one of his bits, he goes, I'm sorry, but uh, anyone who's met my mother and seen my penis needs to die. You know, they just, they can't be on the earth anymore. Um, and uh, so there, there's something super profound in bringing your naked self, your doubts, your perversions, your past traumas, your fears, your little delights, to another human being and being accepted and knowing they're not going anywhere. They are with you. That sort of makes sex a a means toward a greater end, which is to know God. And then pornography. I don't know if we need to spend too much time on that. Pornography is like our modern day temple prostitutes. It seems harmless, it seems just physical, seems a release, but you're dividing yourself up from either God or your relationship partner. So again, it's become an end and not a means to an end. And Paul says, like, in all of this, I'm saying this as a concession and not as a command. It's really important. I'm saying this as a concession, not as a command. What he's trying to do is reduce the significance of sex in the Corinthians' eyes. He's trying to reduce and saying it's not the most important thing. There are more important values in our relationships and in our hearts and lives that we need need to focus on, that sex can help us develop, but they're not the only way that it will be developed. And when you look at this passage, you begin to notice some themes. You begin to notice some values that lead us towards spiritual and relational wholeness. Yeah, the first thing that we picked out was the theme of equality, right? So he says, hey, women... Your body is not your own anymore. It is your husband's. Hey, men, your body is also not your own. It's your wife's, which is 
crazy because men had complete control over their bodies. Their, their wives owned nothing of them, right? Had no, no value. But Paul is saying, no, actually, in marriage, you're equals. This is the proper way to do things. In sex or otherwise, you are equals coming into this marriage. So he is addressing both men and women in this passage equally. He's saying verbatim the same thing to each other. Hey, listen, Russ, your body's not your own. Hey, Anna, your body's not your own. Um, so we see equality between partners in this. Um, the next thing we see is we, we see submission to one another. Um, the fact that also, oh, sorry, the fact also is important to note that because Paul is addressing the wife first, that's a really big deal in this letter too. Usually he would address the men first and then the women would also get their, you know, whatever they should be doing as well. He addresses the female first in this letter, which is extremely radical, very feminist and progressive of Paul. Um, and if it was like, you know, in our, our modern day, it would be like if there was this, you know, beautiful letter written to the American people and the first people addressed in it were illegal immigrants in this letter. That would be radical to people, right? Like, no, 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 people, these people don't have rights. In this time, women didn't have rights. You address them maybe last if you address them at all, but like, Paul is being very radical with the way he's presenting equality. Then we see submission, submitting to one another, right? I'm not just doing my own thing, my body's not mine, I submit that to you. Um, and it, you know, in sex, what this looks like is, in, in marriage, it's not about one partner or the other, it's about us serving one another. You know, some of the best sex that we've had is not when we're thinking about our needs or the scratch or the itch or whatever that we have, but like, how can I make my partner feel good, feel pleasure, feel loved, um, all of these things, but just, also outside of the bedroom, it's the same thing that we are submitting ourselves um, to one another. This is a huge theme, obviously throughout the gospel, right? The, the whole gospel is the first shall be last. We are submitting, we are servants to not only our partners, but in friendships, in interactions that we have with strangers. Um, this isn't just present here, but we definitely see it um, in this passage that Paul is talking about. Um, and then another thing that we see is prayer and worship, something that he addresses. He said, hey, listen, don't weaponize sex. Don't withhold it from one another. But if you do withhold it, let it be for prayer and worship. And I think this is the point where it's like, well, Paul got it right with like celibacy as a gift because if that's the case, you don't have to worry about that. But there are times when you're like, hey, listen, we need to cool it, right? We need to focus on Jesus. We need to have some more like prayerful worship intentional time like that's that's in your marriage when it's okay to be like hey listen let's like not be having sex in other contexts it's not a good idea to go very long without doing that but um you know I would say for us like it's it's sex isn't the goal the worship and the prayer is is such an important part of all of this and I think we see this in the Trinity. All three of these things are so present in the Trinity. Um, you see equality between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see mutual submission to one another. Um, you see prayer and worship. I mean, we just did the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and Russ and I were really had an incredible time. And I'll tell you, being married to a pastor, I've fasted a lot. <laughs> and like, they're not all amazing experiences. Like some of the time Russ is like, how was it? And I was like, mm, I was hungry. I don't know. It was fine. <laughs> um, but this last time was really, really powerful for the both of us. I think God had really been um, kind of greasing our wheels in a lot of different ways for this to be really explosive for us. And so, um, you know, this for prayer and worship in this context, like we we weren't having a lot of sex during this time because what God was unearthing in us was really painful and raw. And there was a lot of like, 
emotional exhaustion, but we were, we were growing together in um, our intimacy and communication and um, our oneness together. So I would say, yeah, those are, those are some totally. big themes that we see present in this that really are very applicable to sex, but also so much bigger than that. But I think that's the point. Paul is demonstrating how sex is one way to develop these themes of relational wholeness with God and each other, which is the ultimate goal which is why it's not the highest indicator of relational success. Um, and so it's one way of doing that. And as Anna said, the, the, the best sex that we've ever had, can I talk about the best sex we've ever had? Please. All right. Uh, the best sex we've ever had is, is where we have been equals and mutually submitted and viewing it as a form of prayer and worship. And that might make some of you really nervous. Uh, to, to, if you're like, how is sex prayerful or worshipful, but it is. The best that it's been for us has been when we're entering into this space and allowing God into the room. And some of you are like, no, 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 God's not out. Hey, God's already in the bedroom. He's there. He's there. You can't okay? close the door. He's there. For better or worse. Maybe some of y'all need to be aware of that a bit more. <laughs> He's there. So what would it look like to welcome him there? What would it look like to have your sex life um, honoring of who God is. It would certainly change certain aspects of it so that we're not seeking it selfishly. We're not seeking our own interests, but we're seeking to love and to glorify and to adore the other person. Um, But, and, and I think it's important that we recognize that sex can be a means toward those themes of equality and submission and prayer and worship, but it can also be very dangerous It can be weaponized, and we've seen it weaponized. And Paul even addresses how it can be weaponized here. He says, don't deprive each other. That is to say, don't use sex as a weapon, except for a mutually agreed upon time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together. So it can be a high expression of these values of relational flourishing, but Satan can often and and does often use sex as a weapon to keep us away from the values of relationship. We heard a pastor say uh, before that Satan will do most anything to get us into bed before we're married and to keep us out of bed once we're married. And I think that's an important recognition of how sex can be a means, but it also can be a weapon. Yeah. Um, and right now, I want to just address um, those of you in the room that are sitting here and you're like, hey, listen, that sounds great. Celibacy is a gift. Marriage is a gift. I'm kind of given celibacy. It's not the gift I chose right now. It's just the state of life that I am in. Um, I know there's a lot of you out there. I've had many conversations with many of you that you're like, hey, I didn't choose celibacy. It's kind of chosen for me right now. Um, And this is what I would say to that. We live life in seasons, right? We do not have the full picture ahead of us. We do not know what is before us. We do not know how long seasons last um, or what God is teaching us in that. And Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not promising you anything either because I don't have any authority to do that. And I don't know what's in store for you. But I do know that if we look too far ahead of what's going to come, if it's ever going to come, what's in store for me, it is so overwhelming. Be present in this season because there is a reason you are in this season. That was so unintentionally rhymeful. Um, The second thing that I would say is God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. You are not broken. You are not unworthy. You are not in the celibate season because God has this grand desire for you to be alone. That's not it at all. Guys, we've already talked about that marriage isn't the reward. 
God is the reward. So whether in a celibate season or a marriage season or maybe even something in between for a lot of you too, where you're, you're not married, you're not single, you're somewhere in between, there is, a, there is a season that God has you in right now that he wants to reveal more of himself. He wants to be your ultimate reward. And that may be through the pain of celibacy and being alone or sometimes it's through the pain of like a really tough marriage. And our marriage the last five years has not been amazing. And there's been some painful moments that I was like, I will take the other gift. Give it to me now. Like, can I choose celibacy after marriage? Because that sounds pretty good. Um, but God will use that, right? And I wasn't broken. God wasn't mad at me. He has you in a specific place because he is trying to reveal more of himself to you. So don't miss out right now. Even if you're in a season that you maybe didn't choose for yourself, God has not abandoned you. He wants to show you more of himself. So press into that season and keep praying, keep having conversations. It's okay to be disgruntled or upset or want for a different season of life. Absolutely. But be intentional with him where you're at um, in the season because you know, the greatest happiness and fulfillment for us isn't our sex life. It is a tool that we use, but it's not the most frequent tool that we use, and it's not the most common. I would say communication, mm -hmm. connection, truth-telling, vulnerability, all of these things can happen with insects, but most often they don't. Like I said, with the prayer and fasting, we weren't having sex very much because we were exhausted, but we were connecting with each other. God was doing so much in our own souls and our walls were coming down with one another and things that have been strongholds in our marriage for the last couple of years were really being ripped apart and we were finding so much wholeness, mm -hmm. relational, spiritual wholeness with one another, but the physical part was probably not happening as often and that's okay because yeah. it's a tool in our toolbox. It's not the most important tool. Yeah, I'd also say board games. <laughs> board games are great. Definitely uh, help the friendship out. Yes. <laughs> but so then, if we're sort of putting it all together, and we're not tying this with any neat bow, there's been a lot of different thoughts. Hopefully one or two of them have hit you where you are in your season. And I'm going to invite the, the, the band back up now. Um, what Paul is after is relational wholeness. That's what he's after, relational wholeness. And as we talked about at the very beginning of this series, most importantly, whether you're married or single, relational wholeness with God. God wants to give you himself. He is your reward. And when we lose sight of that, um, destructive things will enter. He's after relational wholeness. And that doesn't require sex, but it does require intimacy. It does require um, vulnerability and equality and submission and worship and prayer. And anyone can have that. Anyone can start developing that with God and with friendships, despite your relational status. So this is a message for all of us in this room, to knock sex off its pedestal, whether it's been shamed or glorified, and realize that regardless of whether you have it or not, it's not going to lead to what you're ultimately looking for. Relationship with God will. Worship and prayer of God and intimacy with friendships, that will get there. And so some final words. The final word for the married uh, in the room, have sex, but pray beforehand. Worship God afterward. Communicate amply. If anything is off limits, then there's something in your relationship where you're not pushing into wholeness. Communicate, confess, repent. Don't hide anything. Nothing. That's something that Anna and I, for all of its painful moments, something that we've trusted in and tried to put in practice from the start that nothing is off limits talking. We're, we're communicating, we're not hiding anything 
from each other. Seek not to be pleasured, but to bring pleasure. Submit. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Both of you be the first one to submit. Set rhythms of prayer and worship together. And remember that your marriage is a tool. Sex is a tool within it. But ultimately what God is after is wholeness and intimacy with you himself. And for those that are single in the room or celibate or thinking about celibacy, um, A, God has not forgotten about you. He is not punishing you. Um, He is intentionally going after you. He wants to reveal things to you right now that in this season of celibacy, that's the best way that he's going to reach you right now because he knows what we need. He knows what we need. And I think, too, for those that um, maybe are struggling with, you know, shame or guilt, both of those things are not of God. Both of those words are not of God. And there is no path that maybe you have gone down that is too great for his forgiveness or his redemption at all. So if we're saying things right now that you're like, man, I'm like, I'm too far gone. That's, that is the biggest lie. Not true. It's such a big lie. And I've seen so much brokenness done to people that I love so dearly of like, well, I'm already soiled. So like, this is great guys. But like, this message doesn't really apply to me. Like I'm ruined. No, you're not. You are not ruined. You are not beyond redemption. And even if this is a process too, it's a process. We're all on this process, right? We're all on this journey. But if you do find yourself right now, maybe not in a marriage covenant relationship, God loves you. He sees you. He has chosen you. And he desires himself to be your reward during this season. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then for the final word for all of us, single, married, just for the church in general. Just to know that the church over the last 2,000 years has been created and its ways of pursuing these things. Um, in Irish monasticism, there was a, a concept called uh, the Anam Cara, which is the soul friend. And these were two friends who weren't married, but who were covenanted together. They covenanted their lives to seek God together. And they promised to each other that they would speak truth, that they would confess, that they would repent, that they would pursue intimacy of their emotions, pursue intimacy of their spirits because they recognize uh, that in relationship that that was the tool, the means toward the greatest end, which is for each of them to know God is their reward. And that is available to any of us in this room despite our relationship status. And so uh, I would ask you to stand up because we're going to sing a song and take communion. But before we do, uh, Anna, would you close us in prayer? Yeah. Father God, there was a lot of um, words, terms, language, situations that may have been really uncomfortable for people today for many different reasons, God. Maybe because it's never been talked about in a church experience for them, or um, maybe it's also new ways of thinking that they've never thought about. It's a, it's a whole new way of life. Maybe it, it expresses Um, grace and and intimacy with God in a new way that's eye-opening. Maybe people are just squirming around these words. I don't know, Lord. There's probably a lot of different emotions in this room right now, God, but I hope that people don't miss out on ultimately our relational wholeness comes from knowing fully who we are in you, God. First, before we are able to know anybody else, our our spouses, our kids, our friends, our neighbors, our relational wholeness comes first from knowing that we are your child, that we were chosen by you, God, that we are loved, 
that we were created with so much, so much intentionality, that we have different paths, that we have different callings, and that doesn't make some of us more rewarded or more gifted or more blessed or more loved by you. That's not the way your love works, God. That is not the way your love works. And there are some of us right now that are in seasons that are really painful and we didn't choose for ourselves. You know those seasons, God. You know it better than we do. I ask that you would draw your face so near to those people right now that are just in pain, maybe with the season that they're in right now and they're struggling with this. May you show yourself as the reward, Lord. May you come and bring them an intimacy and a relationship with you that they've never experienced before. May they experience an abundant joy in this season, wherever it is. I pray this over our church, Lord. I pray for marriages in this room, Lord, marriages that are in pain, that are hurting, that are breaking, that are broken, that have broke. God, you are the God that can heal all things, all things. Nothing is impossible with you, God. So we pray your, your healing hand on, on the single the, the dating, the engaged, the celibate, the, the married, the divorced, the widowed, everybody, Lord God, we all need your healing touch, wherever we are, all of us. So bring your face close to ours, Lord. Let us breathe in our lungs your breath, God. Let it fill us up and let it pour out of every limb that we have, every toe and every finger, and off of our lips, God. I thank you for the people in this room. I pray also health over their bodies as they go out of this place that you would just supernaturally protect our bodies as we are in harm and in germs way um, so that we are not tied down, but we are busy out doing your work, Lord, that we can keep on going out and just love on people. I thank you for this, this morning, for your words, Lord God, and may we just meditate on them as we move into worship and communion this morning. Amen. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.